Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The offside rule, we get it. It's brought to you by Continental Tyres. Hi there, everyone. Thank you for listening to the offside rule brought to you by Continental Tyres. And welcome to episode, our favourite number, so close to our age, 21. That is actually my favourite number because my address, my childhood home, is number 21. Well, mine's 18, which is more in keeping with how old I am. This is Kate Borsa, by the way. Lindsay Hooper, you've just heard. And hosting today, our very own Hayley McQueen. Yes, exactly. And do you know what? My parents live at number 21. There you go. So this is a special episode. In fact, 21 is old for some of the people that we're going to be discussing today. (laughs) Youngsters out there, let's run you through um, some of the topics in a moment. But if you are listening, thank you very much. Hopefully uh, via Audio Boom or iTunes. You can also head to our YouTube channel as well if you want something a bit visual. Just go to the Offside Rule TV. You can, of course, follow us on Twitter. So from the second you wake up until the second you sleep, you will have a little something from us throughout the day at Offside Rule Pod. And you can also head to our website, of course, Offside Rule Podcast.com. The female take on football. So today we have plenty to discuss, a big, big week as far as deadlines are concerned. Uh, But one of the topics we're going to be chatting about at the end of the pod, stay tuned for this because it is very funny, nicknames in football. Uh, The other day, of course, grabbing lots of headlines, Thomas Rosicki hasn't really grabbed many headlines uh, over the years in his nine years at Arsenal, but he put on a performance... A masterclass against Brighton where they nicknamed him Little Mozart. So what other funny or strange nicknames have been given to footballers and why? Now, we love chatting about ones to watch because lots of players that we've discussed in the past on the podcast have gone on to be stars. So we predict correctly. So make sure you listen to some of the rising stars that have been signed by clubs could be in the Premier League, the Championship or elsewhere in Europe. So these youngsters who sign for a club or possibly on their way to a club right now that we should have our eyes on. Uh, Deadline day. All eyes on that clock ticking down. Big Ben on Sky Sports News or wherever else. Our, of course, Twitter feed will have plenty of updates. We had a brilliant team who cover all the transfers, the rumours and the deals that have happened. So we want to chat about January signings in the past and look at those that have been a big hit. And what about those who've also perhaps flopped as well? And as we know, there's plenty of funny stories that come out on deadline day. Uh, we all know the Peter Odom Wingy story, which we bring out, of course, every deadline day to chat about. So we want to have a look back over the years of uh, January signings and pick out a standout moment for us. It could be a great signing to something funny or silly or a rumour about something that didn't quite happen, like Messi signing for Manchester United. Are you working on deadline day? I am. I'm doing deadline day in the evening, yeah, with Jim. And you're also going to be doing a blog for us. Uh, Our web editor's uh, writing that up as we speak. Um, And we'll be covering deadline day and relaunching the website the day after deadline day. So if deadline day isn't exciting enough for you, the day after we'll be relaunching OffsideRulePodcast.com. I'm really worried because I'm at a club. So I managed to avoid last deadline day because I was on holiday. But I'm going to be at QPR. So I'll have Harry Redknapp winding down his window, of course. But I'm really worried because the last time deadline day happened, all the reporters had all manner of different things going on. 
I'm really quite scared. I think as long as you have security there, just make sure you re- you you request a couple of big burly men to take down with you for a bit of bring you pizza, cups of tea, and protection. I always remember when Rachel Brooks used to cover Queens Park Rangers for Sky Sports News, and they're actually normally quite kind to the reporters. They normally let you in at QPR, so hopefully mm. you will have swung a massive, massive win there, and you'll be inside QPR rather than outside, freezing your fingers off. <laughs> Let's chat about some of those funny moments that have happened over the years in transfer deadlines, particularly focusing on some of the moves that have maybe been made in January. Let's start with UK, because I'm sure you've heard enough of my voice already in this podcast. Well, we've mentioned Aidan Wingy already. That was in 2013. But 2013 for me was the standout transfer window in terms of odd and strange things happening. QPR, we've just mentioned them. Do you remember them trying to buy their way to stay in the Premier League? On deadline day, they made a huge amount of signings, didn't they? 12.5 million and 100k a week for Christopher Samba. They also bought Loic Remy for 8 million, Telben Haim, and they picked up Jermaine Genus and Andros Townsend on loan on deadline day as well. So Queen's Park Rangers in that 2013 window desperate to try and stay it didn't work though did it Uh, and also in 2013 that was the year of the big fur coat can you remember Paul Sharna his return to Wigan ablaze in lights he comes back the master comes back to Wigan and is spotted doing a bit of shopping in Asda in a large fur coat just a few uh, slightly more amusing transfer (laughs) deadline day stories from me one of the standout moments I thought because everyone was scratching their head although it's proved to be a good move now, but Juan Mata, when he was let go by Chelsea to go to Manchester United, and everyone who was a Chelsea supporter was scratching their head at this one, and it's only because it was Mourinho sanctioning it that there wasn't more of an outcry. People thinking, well, we believe in him, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's worked out to be a stroke of genius in a sense, because the players that have come in have worked so well together, and it is all for, for Mourinho, it seems, about the training ethic, also how people are getting on in the dressing room. And there was something that Juan Mata wasn't bringing at Chelsea. Mm. Let him go. I think it just threw up so many questions, that move in particular. It's worked out okay. I still think that Mata is yet to properly shine at United, which I think is proving Mourinho's point even even more. Um, But saying that, it's one that I think has worked its way out now and and people sort of just accept Mm. it. But at the time, whoa, Mm. huge shock. Well, there have been so many over the years. Uh, one little personal story, although it is from August, I won't go into it too much because obviously we've got to stick to the plan because it is this January deadline. But Dimitar Berbatov signing for Manchester United. I remember the Sky Truck in the car park and we had, I think it was James Cooper there and then they had the camera actually focusing in on David Gill's office and you could see the player in the office and they had those wonderful behind-the-scenes shots. Well, I was actually working for Manchester United at the time and I was in the stadium, in the building, watching what Sky were filming on the outside. It's weird now that I am on the outside and I'm not (laughs) privy to that kind of stuff inside. And the devastating thing for me on this one, um, I had been following the story all day. We were thinking he was going to sign in the morning. There was security around the back of the corner of the stadium to bring him into David Gill's office. There was things you know in place having had his medical and all of this and I'd done all the morning I'd done the lunchtime got to the evening I was shattered about nine o'clock in the evening they decided to stand me down and one of the other reporters was going to come in and do the big interview with Dimitar Berbatov I was like I've been here since seven o'clock this morning I want I want to do this interview but I was there behind the scenes at the club that was really funny Uh, what about 
Torres becoming the most expensive signing mm. uh, made uh, by a British club when um, Chelsea, of course, finally agreed with Liverpool to sign him for £50 million. One of those, when you've got the deals that go through right at the end, you don't want it to just be someone on loan at Rotherham or, mm. I don't know, somebody re-signing a contract at Bolton. You want the big deals to go through. And when the deals like that were going through, and of course Andy Carroll as well, when he made his big money move, and we know what happened to these players after that, but there was so much hype at the time you're like, oh, he's just going to be absolutely world-class. It's going to be amazing. Well, we know he actually wasn't. Yeah, I I mean, that was incredible for Liverpool fans to sort of know that Fernando Torres was going. And there were whispers about that, whispers about Andy Carroll. And of course, Newcastle upped the price of Andy Carroll as soon as the, the deal with Torres was confirmed. It was all done in the final few hours. But it was a spectacular spend for Chelsea to land Torres and a spectacular fail by Liverpool landing Andy Carroll. Although at the time, he was a good signing. He just wasn't worth no. £35 million, and he never was. Mm. Are we doing sort of worse moves yes. as well? Yeah, go on. Well, I'm going to just go with Andre Oshavin because he came mm. on deadline day um, from Zenit to Arsenal, £15 million. And I think it's a word of warning because I don't think Arsene Wenger's very keen on doing last-minute business, but this one window in particular, he was under a lot of pressure, wasn't he, to get more players in. So he reacted to the fans, he reacted to the criticism, and it went a bit wrong. Mm. As much as I think that Arsene Wenger can be stubborn, sometimes he should stick to what he thinks and what he knows. Ashavin moved to North London. He didn't He didn't settle in the worst of all players to move. He actually scored quite a few goals, um, four in one game against Liverpool, which, mm. which Kate might remember. But things just went sour afterwards. Mm. He never properly got into the team anymore. He fell out of Wenger's plans. Suddenly he was out of the squad and then he was being loaned out. He ended up making a permanent um, switch back to Zenit afterwards in 2013. I just thought he was a huge disappointment and in particular after a brilliant tournament that he'd had playing for Russia. So it was all this expectation and a a player that disappoints. One signing that's been a major success and one that's been a major flop. Um, The signing of Luis Suarez, despite what happened afterwards and the manner in which he left Liverpool, when he signed from Ajax to Liverpool in January 2011 for £22.5 that was money well spent. Of course, in his final season, he notched up 31 goals and then obviously left for Barcelona for £75 million quid but in hindsight a very very good signing uh, there for Liverpool it's just a shame it all ended a bit sourly um, Savio for West Ham one of the flop who? signings exactly <laughs> who? who's he? Savio so, yeah Savio um, moved from Brescia to West Ham in January 2009 for 9 million quid so not small change by any respect he was an under 20 German international and uh, it was basically his signing was meant to meant to um, show how intent West Ham were to prove themselves a force of the Premier League after kind of fluctuating between the Championship and the Premier League. They, they had that Icelandic owner, Jan Franco Zola, was in charge then. So this, this was the marquee signing. This was the signal of intent. It's a shame he was complete and utter garbage, though. Sorry, West Ham fans. He played 10 or 11 games or so, failed to settle and was sold to Fiorentina six months later. It could have been good, by the way. West Ham sold him on the understanding that uh, any future moves, they'd get 50% off his fees. So he was still a young player. If he reached his potential, West Ham could be in for a giant payday. They haven't even been in for a giant payday either. He's basically petered out and is playing in Kazakhstan, I think now. (laughs) Poor lad. Oh, well, mine is a flop. He was the Andy Carroll of his day 12 years ago in January signing. Sven-Jorn Eriksson had just given him his 
England call-up. He was high-flying at Bolton. There were fights from a couple Davis. of clubs no, no. to sign him. Tottenham and Liverpool were said to be preparing bids to line up Michael Ricketts. Oh, Ricketts, <gasps> yeah. But he chose Middlesbrough. Wow. Yeah, he'd drawn huge praise by the likes of Nat Lofthouse and people like that saying how wonderfully brilliant that he was. He made a £3.5 million move on deadline day. Now, this was a big, big signing for Middlesbrough at the time. He just got bigger, though, didn't he? He kind of et his way <laughs> through the next few seasons <laughs> at Middlesbrough. Um, he actually moved on 18 months after he signed. Over the next seven years, he did have real weight problems. He topped about 16, 17 stone at Ooh. one point. That's right. He then went on to move to Leeds, Stoke, Cardiff, Burnley, Preston, Oldham, Southend, Walsall, Tranmere. He played his last game in 2009 but we did think that after Middlesbrough maybe you'd be going on and playing for a United and doing wonderful things and getting called up by England again who knows and being a real star in the team but he was just absolutely dreadful 3.5 million pounds down the plug hole. I've got one more for you and I'm expecting Hayley McQueen to remember this one more perhaps than Kate Borsay because you'd have been working on deadline day last year so we're talking this time last year it wasn't deadline day actually it was a January move and we're talking about the man the £12 million man that was meant to be saving Fulham. He was meant to be saving Fulham from going down. Do you remember who this was? A Greek international? Kyriagos. No. no. Who was it? Kostras Mitrogoulou. <laughs> yes. I've just got back from Greece as well, so I'm fully up on my Mitrogoulou pronunciation. Oh, well done. Well, I'll take your, I'll take your guide on it. Uh, do you know that he'd scored 41 goals in 86 appearances for Olympiacos, which is why Fulham had the panic buy mentality and were desperate to get the international into Fulham to keep them in the Premier League? It was Rene Mullenstein because, yes, they got through so many bosses. I forgot who was in charge. Um, but Mitrogoulou was... He was almost... A non-factor, wasn't he, for Fulham? He didn't even really turn up. Wasn't wasn't he injured for most of this? He basically turned up, played a couple of games and then got very injured and was just a complete and utter letdown. He made a total of three appearances. He failed to score in any of the games. (laughs) They got relegated to the Championship. He was since loaned back to Olympiacos. But you know what? He's still on Fulham's books because they're thinking they might get back to the Premier League. Don't think it's going to happen, Fulham. My want to mention is actually a player who signed for Real Madrid from Portsmouth. He might not have been an absolute wonder signing, but my goodness, he made a good move, didn't he? Lasana Diara. Yeah. That's right. It was 2009, of course, mm. Portsmouth dropping down the leagues, now in League Two. Mm. And he was up there playing for um, Mourinho, uh, winning La Liga, taking it away from Pep Guardiola's Barcelona in 2010. He wore the number 10 shirt and six shirts as well. He had a very low profile, but did very well at the Bernabeu. So that was really good buy from them. But who'd have thought almost 20 million euros for a holding midfielder from Portsmouth to Real Madrid. I don't think that's going to happen again. <laughs> well, I think Kate Borsay has got the best ever January transfer because Luis Suarez and then being sold on for £75 million, I don't think you can beat that, can you, to Barcelona? But someone who was integral to Manchester United, uh, Nemanja Vidic, who came from Spartak Moscow to United back in January 2006. That move cost £7.2 million. Um, Vidic, I think... The fact that he hit the ground running, didn't he? He did so well from the off. Um, Ferguson also had a bit of a battle on his hands to sign him. Liverpool were 
were interested. Fiorentina tried to sign the defender as well. And it's still the case today that defenders are hard to come by, aren't they? Really good defenders, really good solid ones. And the partnership that Vidic eventually had with Rio Ferdinand for United in the back four, it won them trophies. It definitely won them silverware. And from, from that point of view, I would throw that into the mix. Hi, I'm Matt Letizia, and you're listening to The Offside Rule, three girls talking about football. What about these young up-and-coming players? Ones to keep our eyes on. Martin Odegaard of Stromsgårdset, linked with a whole host of clubs, but signing for Real Madrid. Do we think that there was too much pressure heaped on this poor young kid's shoulders? He is a kid. And what we must remember at the moment as well is slight controversy surrounding this. Uh, There is an investigation uh, which is taking place right now. FIFA actually looking at the whole of Real Madrid's uh, transfer policy, asking them for information on 50 players. That's right. Uh, The club director confirmed that FIFA had asked them uh, for information. Um, The majority of their players, um, they were slightly worried weren't exempt from certain rules. But anyway, I won't dwell into that a little bit too much, but maybe if FIFA are starting to crack down, things would be a little bit fairer. And I, I do worry a little bit that you're going into these schools and academies across Europe and plucking literally children, taking them away from their family, their home, education. And what if they? What if he does go to Real Madrid and doesn't quite make it? By 19 years old, what has he got? An education in football, but what else? It is worrying. I mean, I think there's a lot more of a spotlight on players, probably because of the money in football and because... The cross-contamination between leagues now, if we want to call it that, um, between England and Spain and England and Italy, it's such a fluid conversation nowadays, isn't it? So the coaches and and the scouts, they're going out there, they're they're picking up players very early on but they're also flagging it to the press so you've got someone like Cesc Fabregas who came to England when he was very very young but we didn't really hear that much about him until he hit the first team we're hearing about players now before they're even in the first team for some of these clubs so I agree that the pressure might be a bit much Um, Wayne Rooney is another great example of someone who was being talked about when he was very young but I think I think that pressure is getting worse as time goes on Aren't there some 12-year-old Venezuelan twins that have been also signed by Real Madrid or Barcelona, one of the big teams as well? And when they willingly leave their country to go to a football club, which is what we should have said, obviously it did Messi a huge favour, didn't it, going to Spain from um, Argentina? But yeah, it's, it, has, it, it does call into question when you've got really young kids leaving their home country. Um, shall I give you uh, perhaps... A couple of intriguing signings during this window. Um, so we've been asked by Haley to look out for a couple of young signings who might have caught our eye. A name that many will know is MK Don's player Deli Ali. I know we've mentioned him before on the podcast. 18 years old, midfielder. Uh, he's gone to Newcastle interestingly enough, which I thought was quite an interesting move because I'm sure Liverpool and Arsenal and some of the top clubs were after him, but he's decided to go to Newcastle, maybe to get game time, um, and then he'll possibly look to make a bigger move when he's into his 20s. Who knows? Uh, He's gone for 4 million, rising to 5 million with add-ons as well. Um, A quick player to mention who hasn't moved yet, but this is really kind of under the radar for now. It's a French player. I saw him in action um, when uh, France under-21s beat England 3-2 last year, end of last year. A player called Imeric Laporte, and he's a defender, which is why I've got my eye on him, because as you say, Lynn's defenders are hard to come by. He's 20, uh, plays at the moment for Athletic Bill Bowers, a central defender. He's got
got a buyout clause of 31.5 million. That's how well, that's how highly athletic rate him. So he would not be cheap at all. Well, both of mine, something that's really pleased me this year is that big clubs are looking to their youth and they're looking to players that they've loaned out and they're looking at recalling them and getting the best from them and putting them in their own first team. If 2014 has been about Raheem Sterling, because I think he's probably had the most prolific year, then 2015 into 16, I think, will all be about Jordan Ibe. He was one of the products of Liverpool's Youth Academy that was loaned out and most recently was at Derby County. Derby now really struggling, scratching their heads, trying to fill the, the void that he's left behind. And now he's been recalled back to Liverpool. A player that I saw when he was playing for the Liverpool under-21s um, who, who was lighting up the pitch. He stood out a mile. And I do think he's going to follow in the st- steps of Raheem Sterling. I think he'll have a great season. He's training at the moment with Liverpool. It looks like Brendan Rodgers is going to give him some chances and I think he will shine. And off the back of that as well, Arsenal have done something very similar. They recalled, didn't they, Francis Coquelin, who was at Charlton. He's slotted into Arsenal's squad really well. I think he's going to cement a place. There are players that are missing there that are going to really struggle to get back in that Arsenal team. Arsenal's depth in squad now is quite amazing. And Coquelin is perhaps a surprise to Wenger, someone he brought back and thought would fill a gap for a little while, but is now someone I think he will want to keep hold of. Mentioning youth, actually, when we looked at that under-21 game between Liverpool and Manchester United uh, earlier on in the week, when you looked at the names on the sheet and you had Paddy McNair in there and all the kids, there are about seven or eight that Louis van Gaal has actually had in his first team squads already. So that's really good to see that there is a bit of a crossover there. Uh, will we get to see uh, a lot of uh, Legia Warsaw's Christian Bielik who signed for Arsenal? Let's hope we do. A really good signing there. Uh, my kind of prediction for the future is we're going to see a lot of Belgians coming through. They have a, a brilliant national side uh, right now with so many of them plying their trade over here in the Premier League. Uh, one of those players who's been linked to Newcastle, I think he will sign, Alexandra Mitrovic from Anderlecht. He's 20 years old, so he's not a complete kid, but Anderlecht actually have a lot of really good players. They put a lot of focus, like Germany did, on their youth. They completely turned things around a few years ago and have made sure they've got all these kids coming through. Yes, I'm sure the teams out in Belgium would like to keep hold of them, but it looks like some of these highly rated youngsters. Another one, uh, Yuri Tillemans, only 17. Um, he was the Belgian League's Talent of the Year. Yeah, I've mentioned him on, on one of our Euro mm. podcasts, actually. Uh, Mitrovic, obviously, and we know also 20, linked with that move to Newcastle. He'd said, you know, I have four more years on my contract and I'm happy here at Andelect. Uh, so there you have it. Lots of uh, exciting names, I'm sure, to look out for mm. over this set next year that will have signed for teams in the Premier League. So there we have it. Well, I'll tell you what, let's get to... The more light-hearted end of our podcast, before we get to these funny nicknames, we can get to the funny man himself, Sean Thorne, who can bring us up to date with what's been happening on Twitter with his Twitter Topic of the Week. Twitter Topic of the Week. So on Twitter Topic of the Week this week, we've been asking you about your favourite football player temper tantrums. Now, quite a lot of you have uh, sent this one in, so a cheers to Harriet in Charlotte Dunker uh, for this vine of Atletico's tour and just lobbing his boot at a linesman. Like, I'm, I'm not convinced that he was aiming at him because it misses him by miles, miraculously. It was a pretty poor throw by, by any chump's standards, which is, which is probably for the best. I mean, like, if a player KOs a lino with a football boot, that's going to send the sports media into a week-long meltdown. Uh, Steve 
Stephen Beattie's gone for uh, Leon Clark, crying in the centre circle uh, at Swindon Town after he was told he was going running at training the next day. It's quite an odd thing to cry about when your job is essentially to run after a ball. Uh, Rebecca Louise Coles has gone for William Gallus's sit-down protest during uh, Birmingham 2, Arsenal 2 back in 2008. Uh, John Pace has sent this one uh, in the wake of the Morales uh, Baines penalty nonsense. Uh, there's probably no better time to rewatch the De Canio Frank Lampard version um, from back in the day. Uh, he sent the video as well where, where De Canio and a young Frank Lampard uh, arguing over who should be taking a penalty. I mean, there's no prizes for guessing who wins that argument. And uh, and last but by no means least, uh, football freestyler uh, Matt Walsenholm, uh, he's been on and he sent a video of an Arsenal fan having a full-on meltdown uh, during the Arsenal 4, Newcastle 4. It's definitely worth fishing out the video. A few naughty words in there, but still very chuckle-worthy. Uh, I'll be back next week with more Twitter Topic of the Week. I've been Sean Thorne, and I will hand you back to the girls. Oh, thank you very much, Sean Thorne. That's not a nickname, that's right. In fact, I was reporting the other day on a, on, on a player, Roy Loy, who plays Roy in Scotland. Loy. Roy Loy, yeah. Great. His name is actually Rory Loy, but they all call him Roy Loy. Anyway, uh, what about the nickname that's been given to Thomas Rizicki? A little Mozart after a brilliant performance uh, against uh, Brighton. But what about some other nicknames where players have had to live up to a certain name and it maybe hasn't quite worked or players that really suit the names that they have been given or a bit of just a play on words Kate talking about not living up to nicknames do you know what Harry Cole's nickname was when he was at Liverpool for part of the time he was at Liverpool it was the Wizard of Oz (laughs) I don't think so Um, Lasana Diara by the way nickname Lass because he's Lasana, obviously, oh, but I think that's quite lassie. sweet, isn't it, Lass? Lassie, yeah, I was just yeah, thinking Lassie. Perhaps it was Lassie here, but just generally known as Lass. Mm. Um, I've got a few nicknames here. WSL players, I was asking Lindsay about this earlier. Farrell Williams, Liverpool player, plays in midfield. She's in the PFA Team of the Year after having a fantastic 2014. Her nickname at Everton, when she was there, she did fantastically for Everton, Queen Farrah. Oh. Very Egyptian, Queen Farrah, Queen, Queen Farrah. Um... Oliver Kahn, do you remember him? Mm-hmm. German goalkeeper, Genghis Khan, known as <laughs> known as uh, known as Genghis. Shevchenko was known as the Eastern Wind. And Pavel Nedved, the Czech cannon. Oh. What about that blast off, eh? Uh, Roberto Baggio, Condino di Oro. Do you know what that means? Golden ponytail. Oh. oh, yes. And Dennis Bergkamp, one of the most famous things that he's associated with, not his skill at Arsenal, but the fact he wouldn't get on a plane. So he's the non-flying Dutchman, right? (laughs) (laughs) My absolute favourite, and I do apologise to this player because I've given him a lot of stick over the years. A lot. And I'm going to carry on. (laughs) David Ngo. Well, there was a bit of confusion about whether he was David Ngo or David Ngog. Do you remember? Because he's he's French and the commentators kept switching between Ngo, thinking it can't be Ngog, but I think it might have been Ngog. No, I think when when I give you the nickname, you'll oh, okay. realise it's Ngo. Okay. So, David Ngo, Wash Ngo. That's oh. his nickname. That's oh, his nickname. Well, is that basically because he never made it off the subs bench? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, another, another one that I just find so funny because... You know when you watch football and you think someone reminds you of somebody? Did you, any of you have this with Peter Crouch? And then suddenly the nickname comes into play. You're like, that's it. That's what it is. Well, He's Rodney. Rodney. <laughs> His nickname, Rodney. I love Only Fools and Horses and I can see why. I can absolutely see why. So um, I, I like that. I think it's because there's, obviously there's a bit of a, of, of a lightness with his character, but there is a little bit Nicholas Lindhurst there mm-hmm. as well. Um, and my final one, the wardrobe. 
And this isn't to do with fashion ladies before you start someone trying to... Built, someone who's built really wide, goalkeeper or a defender. Take us to Narnia. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe not take you to Narnia. Um, Fulham, play for Fulham. Uh, Senegalese, midfielder. Papa Booba Diop. He literally was just built like a wardrobe. wardrobe. He's called the wardrobe. <laughs> Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer hated his nickname, the baby-faced assassin. He really didn't like it and still gets called it now. Um, What about another name, like Bubba Diop, Giam Ndumbu Nsungu? I remember seeing him, I think he was playing for Darlington or somewhere in the northeast at the time, and I remember reading... If you, It sounds quite easy to say Giam Ndumbu Nsungu, but actually when you you see it written down, it's got half the alphabet in there. Uh, Because his name was quite complicated, they just called him Dave around the club. (laughs) Just Dave, that was his name. Where's Dave? That's Cesar Aspilicueta at Chelsea. I mean, fans are so good at stuff like that. They just call him Dave. Brilliant. And Cristiano Ronaldo, when he was at at Manchester United, sometimes they'd call him Ronnie. And of course, Ronaldo is a very exotic name. You used to call him Chris. It's Chris. (laughs) Like, where's Chris? It's like, oh, now we know who you mean. Obviously, Bestie was the fifth Beatle. We all love George. Carlos Puyol, Tarzan, popular yes. nickname for him, just yeah. because of the, the sort of state of him and his, his long hair and all that. Fabio Cannavaro, the Berlin Wall, because <laughs> nothing gets past him. But he's Italian, <laughs> so I'm not quite sure about that one. Um, Fitz Hall, I love this. Used to call him one size, yes. didn't they? One size fits, fits all. all. Yeah. It's like the rugby player, and it took me a little while to work this out. Billy Twelve Trees, and they call him 30, 36. 12 trees. Oh, 12 trees. 12 trees are 36. Of course. So they call him 36. They just call him 36. (laughs) That may be a rugby player, but I like it nonetheless. Um, The atomic flea, Lionel Messi, is known by, or more known by, as the Messiah. But how hard is it when you have people nicknamed the new Messi, the little Messi, the Scottish Messi, the Portuguese Messi? Oh, tough. Or our podcast guest, the Romford Pele, Ray Parler. Actually nicknamed after his career, he was nicknamed by Tim Lovejoy, wasn't he, of, mm. of um, Soccer AM fame? <laughs> um, a couple here, you've got uh, Rodney in uh, Peter Crouch. I've got Trigger. Jason McAteer was known as Trigger when he was at Liverpool, um, and Javier Zanetti. Well, he should have should have earned a move to Ipswich, shouldn't he? In his time, he should have gone to Ipswich because he was known whilst he was playing as the tractor. Juan Riquelme, the lazy wizard. Mm. <laughs> oh dear, and Cashley Cole. It's yeah. still stuck with him now, hasn't it, really? He's never going to get away from that poor Ashley. You'll both love this one. My PE teacher, because I used to be a long-distance runner, so I used to be very, very small. I like six and a half stone, tiny. So she used to just call me gob on a stick. <laughs> I can picture I can that. I can that. see I where that comes from. That. Yep, absolutely. Yep, me, just halo. That's it. Full stop. Well, thank you very much for listening to this uh, podcast special. It's great to be back, having missed out uh, last week, of course. But you can listen every week, every Thursday, via Audio Boom and iTunes as well. You can go to our YouTube channel, Offside Rule TV. Via our Twitter, you can follow us at Offside Rule Pod. You can head to the website, OffsideRulePodcast.com, and we have a Facebook page mm. as well. If you're at work and you just sneakily on the computer... Call your friends. Yeah, <laughs> you can just go and give us a little bit of a like. doesn't take long. The Offside Rule. Can we just um, say happy transfer deadline day to everyone oh. concerned and to you too, Hayley, who's 
going yes. to be working. Um, our, and Lindsay Huber, who's going to be inside, outside QPR, we don't know just yet, wheeling, wheeling and dealing with Harry Redknapp, which he absolutely hates being called the wheeler dealer, doesn't he? So maybe not uh, maybe not send that one in his direction. Huh. Um, but do keep across our Twitter feed. We are applauded, actually, for our Twitter feed on deadline day. We get loads of great feedback and loads of great comments on it. So it's one to watch. Um, and uh, the new website launched 3rd of February. Yes! Oh, 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 yes! The Offside Rule We Get It is brought to you by Continental Tyres.